Welcome to the HR Chat Podcast, bringing the best of the HR and talent communities to you. Right now, the war for talent is fierce. Finding ways to retain and develop your employees is therefore absolutely essential to your company's ongoing success. In this HR chat, I talk with John Morgan, the new president of LHH, a subsidiary of ADECO. Listen as John talks about HR managers' talent management strategies during the pandemic and their plans for the future. LHH's 4,000 coaches and colleagues work with more than 12,000 organisations in over 60 countries around the world to help them see the possibilities in their people. This is done through assessments, coaching, upskilling and transitioning, meaning companies are better positioned to realise the untapped potential within their own workforce, resulting in increased productivity, morale and higher brand affinity. LHH recently commissioned the Future Proofing the Talent Pipeline Survey, which captures responses from over 2,000 global HR decision makers and leaders across several industries. It looks at how departments are thinking about hiring, upskilling, redeployment, coaching, severance packages, and much more. And we're going to be delving into some of the findings today. John, welcome to the show. Great to be here with you today, Bill. Thanks for having me. Just start there by telling our listeners a bit more about yourself. Tell them about your career background, John, and and your hopes for your new role. Yeah, sure. That's that's great. Absolutely. And uh, you know, for for me, uh, my background is twofold. Uh, I come from a, a psychology and a business blended background. So I started my career in uh, in management consulting after graduate school, a master's in industrial and organizational psychology, and I was always fascinated by uh, what I would call the the sort of how human behavior plays out at work, uh, and then later on. Uh, in my career, I got an MBA as well. So uh, I've been in the industry for a long time, as I mentioned, uh, really excited to be now uh, leading LHH, uh, an organization that's more than 50 years old. And that really, you know, helps, like you, as you mentioned, companies uh, navigate what we call different types of career moments, whether that's moving around inside of a company or, or leaving a company. And, you know, I think if for my aspiration, it's pretty, it's pretty simple, right? I think in the HR industry right now, um, you know, companies, right, need, need lots of, of great advice, but also lots of great solutions uh, on how they can manage their, their, their human capital. And, and I think for, for our organization in the future, it's really key about how we can, you know, retain, you know, many aspects of the human component of the service that we're offering, which is embedded in coaching and support, uh, but then also bringing in different technology solutions to help companies understand where their skills are needed, where they skills are today and, and how we can help them with, with the different types of reskilling and upskilling solutions to help them future-proof uh, their workforce. So, you know, bringing that uh, to, to a global scale for all of our large customers around the world is something that I'm really, really excited about and, and our whole organization is excited about the future. Let's get into uh, the, the main focus of today's conversation then, John, and, and that's that's around the, the, the findings from from the recent survey called uh, Future Proofing, the, the talent pipeline, which you guys commissioned. What, what did you find most interesting or perhaps most surprising about the, the, the survey data? Well, sure. Um, what wasn't surprising, right, is, is the high participation uh, rate that we had. We had, you know, several thousand folks uh, around, around the world complete the survey, which I think was just not surprising because every customer that we work with or potential customer that we work with is just talking right about this concept of future proofing their workforce, future proofing their, their talent pipeline. So we had a really high participation rate in this survey. Um, I'd say probably one of the biggest things that, that did surprise uh, myself and, and, and our organization 
was just in the thoughts themselves around some of the types of, of interventions that companies are employing. And so, for example, we found, right, you know, more than half of organizations um, are participating in reskilling and upskilling programs, you know, but only a third of those HR decision makers are really confident, right, in their organization's ability to, to launch and manage these programs. So what we really have is, despite the fact that we've got unprecedented challenges in sourcing skilled labor, you know, only slightly more than half of, of the participants around the world are really embracing these leading edge strategies like reskilling and upskilling. And, uh, you know, this is, this is really interesting because you thought, what, what that tells us is that a lot of companies see the need and want to do it, but, but clearly there's a struggle, right, in, in how to actually implement this and get it right. Okay, let's focus in on the the HR department then, because you know this show is called the HR Chat Show after all. Um, how, yeah, have, how, how have HR departments changed the way that they're they're thinking about hiring? It's it's such extraordinary times. I mean, after the recession in oh eight oh nine, there was a bit of a clamber then, wasn't there, to 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 hire people? But it's 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 never been such a buyer's market, I don't think, uh, as right now. You know, a, a decent candidate with the right skills they, they can pretty much pick and choose right now so so from what you've seen from from the t- survey results that, that have been uh, published how have those hr departments changed the ways they're going about trying to find top talent sure i think one of the fundamental shifts that we found in the survey but also you know, through the conversations that we have right with our customers is that the the, the model is, is just changed so significantly from the last crisis that we had in 2008 and in the beginning of 2009, where, you know, the, the model that companies were employing then was, if you remember, I mean, there was a record number of downsizings really quickly. There was this, there was this model and it existed for the decade after the financial crisis, where it was this sort of, you know, fire and hire model, right? And, and companies, you know, were doing massive restructurings and there was, there's significant layoffs, not only in financial services, but across all, all industry sectors. Um, and then so quickly after, right, they were, they were at the same time hiring. And so there was this misalignment of skills going on then. I think when you fast forward it to the talent challenge that we have right now, which we define really as a talent scarcity, right? Companies, as you mentioned, are, are really struggling to fill open jobs. We have, you know, unemployment rates have inched down and there's a record number of, of job openings, right? But, but companies are struggling to fill those open requisitions. Um, because of some of those things that you talked about, the buyer's market. So one of the fundamental things that companies doing now are really turning towards internal redeployment and reskilling programs so that they could avoid some of the issues of the past where they have to spend tons of money on severance and tons of money on hiring costs and now focus really on helping to identify you know, pools within their organization that they feel have adjacent skills for the jobs that are open and that they can help them you know, de- develop those career paths and actually move them around inside of their organization. So the focus on internal uh, career mobility has never been higher than it is today because of the fact, right, that it is so hard to attract talent from the outside. And so the companies that are really getting this right are the ones that have, and this goes back to what I said in, in the survey response, right, a lot of companies want to do this, but not all of them are confident in, in success. Our clients that are really getting this right are the ones that are really using big data and AI to, to forecast the skills that they're going to need in the next, you know, one to two years, five years out, the types of jobs that they're going to need to hire for and map that internally to the workforce that they have today and be very specific on providing reskilling and retraining programs to help them, to help people identify and acquire those new skills while they're still working with the company and strategically point them to the new roles that in many cases don't, don't even exist yet, right? So 
companies are uh, that have uh, well-defined skills, ontology, and, and, and job taxonomy, right? They've, they've done the work to clearly identify skill inventory that they have today, skills that they need tomorrow, new jobs in emerging markets that are, are going to likely be created tomorrow, and putting together, again, very targeted reskilling programs to help with that. And so then they, re they reduce their sort of reliance, right, on the external hiring market, which, again, is not favorable for most employers today. Okay, we're going we're gonna to talk about training and reskilling more in in just a moment but um let's just continue down the employee's life cycle shall we so we've just uh focused there on on the recruitment part of things and then we did touch upon uh what happens later in in one's career but in between those stages is uh is the first three or six months um and the onboarding process john um what, what about it how, how are how are hr departments helping to keep hold of their of their new recruits because um, you know, again, going back to the fact that it is it is a buyer's market. If people are not comfortable with the with with the, sure. the new company culture that they're joining, um, they've got every opportunity to leave in the first three or six months and find something else. Yeah, no, absolutely. This is where we've seen the application of coaching really take off in this context of of, of onboarding, right? And this was something that came out in the in the survey that we did as well, where we had you know upwards of eighty seven percent. Uh, of the organizations that we surveyed are, are offering coaching. Uh, and so what I mean by coaching is, you know, one-on-one -on -one support, whether that's in person or, or through uh, on-demand virtual programs to, to help people who are navigating transitions inside an organization. And one of the key transitions, you know, that, that people have is when they start a new company, right? They have to figure out how to assimilate into their new role, assimilate into the new culture. And now, given the pandemic world that we live in, they have to assimilate into a company where they don't even get to meet people for, <laughs> in the first three to six months in person, which is a whole new challenge. And this is where coaching has really has really helped. Um, we have a lot of different clients who are using one of our products, which is called Ezra, which is a digital coaching app. And this is where we're able to um, uh, democratize coaching and, and really offer it you know, to the masses and the scales of, of employees. And in this context, new hires where you know, when a new hire comes on board, they get access to an external coach who really helps them in those first three to six months, understand the organization, understand their role, you know, map out who the key stakeholders are that they need to be developing those key, key early relationships with, like helping someone identify, you know, quick wins is a, is a big part of, of, of reputation building, which is also something that's really important in those four, first three to six months. So it's, it's moved beyond the classic things of like, you know, you know onboarding is, you know, you know, getting policies and procedures and IT setup and all that. I mean, that's kind of table stakes, but, but providing coaching to help someone really assimilate and navigate the organization, especially now when, again, in many cases, they don't get to meet their employees or their boss or their, or their stakeholders in person. You know, this is the one thing that companies are really amping up investment in, you know, providing onboarding coaching on a scalable manner. And it's proven to be pretty effective so far. Okay, John, when I was coming up with the questions ahead of this interview, I looked back at this one and I was, I was quite proud of it. I thought, oh, it's quite spicy. I like it. But uh, I'm warning you now, it, it's rather long. Okay. And uh, okay. There, there are four possible answers, maybe five if you say to me, none of the above, Bill. Um, so <laughs> it, here goes. Um, the, the LHH survey suggests that post-COVID, HR decision makers are prioritizing building a culture of training and learning, as you've spoken about so far, so far to the extent of about 54.2%, and the development of their people at around 52.6%. Is that because, John, they A, finally get the importance of ongoing development, B, 
need to better embed ways for employees to understand how, for example, AI and machine learning is going to be augmenting their roles. C, they're terrified of the great resignation and losing their top talent. Or D, a little bit of all of those factors. Uh, so the easy, I mean, I'm going to take the easy way out, but I will build on it. If that's okay, right? So, so yeah, of course, right, it's all of the above. Um, but I would actually say uh, B and C, right, are probably a bigger driver versus the fact that, you know, miraculously now folks understand that everyone's always understood the fact that, you know, it, you know, training investment and coaching investment, you know, has a, has a good ROI. Um, but now you're really faced with an economic dilemma more so than ever before, right? Because surely, you know, the costs, the costs of, here's what's different. The, the, the cost of severing and hiring new talent has, has, has never been higher. And, and so now you're, you know, it, it's, it's really gotten the CFO's attention, right? It's really got the C-suite attention more broadly than just the CHRO and, and most of our client organizations here, right? So, you know, they understand that a better economical way to actually staff their positions and, and lead to growth is to focus on redeployment and, and reskilling and upskilling. And it's the fact is that is what's, what's different is the, you know, the, the nature of roles is just simply changed so much. Now what we see are what we call these hybrid roles where it's, you know, every role that is in an organization has some level of, of, of digital requirement, right? And that could be on, on a simple, and where it's just simply a, you know, a, in, in healthcare, for example, where you have a, you know, a, you may have a, someone who's, you know, in a home healthcare company just needs simple digital skills because they're now working with, you know, different tools where they have to upload information versus the other end of the spectrum where you have, I'll take the most basic role of a project manager, right? Well, that project manager now just doesn't need to understand how to run a Gantt chart and, and how to have tasks linked together. They need to understand sophisticated software packages like Tableau and, and data visualization. Every job that a company has, right, requires digital tools now. And so the idea of acquiring all that is just really, you know, there's, there's no business case to justify that. The only way to do that now is to actually upskill and reskill and help people in their current roles acquire these new digital skills. This is where most of the investment is now coming in, in a lot of these training and learning programs that, that we've mentioned in the report. How can they help their employees in role now acquire the digital skills that they need because their roles are evolving more quickly than ever. And so I think it's, it's not, again, to answer your question directly, it's not like that people just finally understood this, but now, um, you know, the financial elements of it combined with the talent scarcity market that we're living in and operating in right now has just really made this something that they can't avoid. Beyond L&D efforts, John, what, what are some of the other ways that you're seeing your clients changing in order to future-proof their workforce? You know, I, I've heard a lot of talk, I'm sure you're the same, in, in terms of the possibility of, a, of another pandemic in our lifetimes, uh, which is scary as heck. And that, that's just one yeah. possible crisis that we, we, we could face. Uh, um, climate change and everything that's doing, uh, that's ongoing crisis for everyone. So what, 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 are, what are some of the key ways that, that, that companies are future-proofing yep. their workforces? Yep, a couple things. And um, so I think the last part of your question first, right? I mean, many of our clients now have very clear, you know, carbon emission KPIs, you know, on their scorecards, right? So, I mean, doing their part, sort of, you know, making the, the working environment more green is, is something that's clearly on the rise. There's no doubt about that because the climate change has a huge impact on, on the jobs of tomorrow. There's no doubt about that. Um, I think the other thing that, that clearly companies are doing now um, which is more on the end of, of how are they attracting talent differently 
is is really looking at, at how they do their their job descriptions, right? I mean, a, mo a very basic and fundamental, you know, HR process that's that has that has had to have, have adapted, right? If you look at uh, job descriptions right now that are posted on on the boards and and all of the places that advertise for the jobs, what you'll see is what we call the kitchen sink approach a lot of times, where there's every skill and requirement possibly known to man, right, listed as a requirement for these roles. And it, what this does is this actually detracts and scares off a lot of applicants, especially has an impact on on minority candidates, you know, women or or people of color for that matter who, you know, in many cases, these job descriptions are written in a way that's unconsciously biased, right? And unintentionally screens people out. There's been a revolution, I'd say, in how, especially post-COVID, how job descriptions and advertisements are, are being written. And HR departments and companies are putting a lot more emphasis in simplifying, you know, what are the actual key skills that are uh, required to do a job and making that clearer and simpler for an applicant to understand so so that we're not chasing out unintentionally lots of you know otherwise very viable candidates this is something that we're seeing uh, a lot of investment in because i think the way we've done you know job descriptions and advertisements in the past uh was just clearly broken and you know by the time someone gets through half of the ads they're just they're moving away because they 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 feel inferior they feel that they can't meet the requirements and so they don't even apply and, and so this is something that i've seen a lot of streamlining in recently John, I don't want to upset you, but we are already coming towards the end of this interview. Oh, um, no. Just a, oh, no. <laughs> just a few more questions for you before we wrap up. Absolutely. Um, Absolutely. We've spoken so far more in general terms, talking about employees generally. But let, let, let's hone in on uh, leaders uh, and uh, and senior execs for a moment. How, how have you seen coaching programs help C-suite leaders and, and executives? What, what, have, what have been the some of the business impacts of, of better coaching for leaders? Yeah, I think um, it's, and it, it's evolved, right? So in, in the past, I think, you know, you always focused on, on, on coaching leaders and some of the classic leadership development soft skills around, around communication, right? And around collaboration. And, and this was a profile, a lot of, of coaching senior executives in the past on how to master some of, uh, some of the softer skills, of course. Right. Um, I think, one of the things that we see a tremendous amount of focus on right now in our in our leadership coaching programs is is how to connect with a broader part of your organization in a more frequent way, right? Because what we've seen here now is um, look, uh, there's a there's an increased focus in, in many companies on wellness. There's an increased um, focus on on checking in with people as you work remotely. You just don't get to see people in the office anymore nearly as much, even though you know people are going back into the work force. But but even in the new world of work, our survey predicted right that um, you know I think you know less than half people are going to be back in the office full time. The, the the more common instances you're going to have people two or three days in the office, and, and it's just going to be a lot different. So what that means for a leader is this is communication right has to even become more of a, a muscle that they have to use and communicating with people in non-traditional mediums holding a lot more town halls and a lot of leaders are uncomfortable with this. And so we see uh, our coaching, especially with the C-suite, you know, around leadership development, focusing in on, on how you can engage your staff in different ways, how you can really focus on the art of inclusivity and really be trying to build a culture where you bring more people in, especially in a time when they're in theory disconnected. And, and so that's something that a lot of our, a lot of our work is focused on for sure. Um, as well as, you know, I think just focusing with, you know, uh, 
senior leaders on, on what the future of work is going to look like from an experience standpoint. And, and a lot of leaders are struggling to have, have all the answers to that right now. And then, and the reality is that they don't. So we're doing a lot of work helping them craft what their policy should look like and how to communicate them to employees. And again, with, with an angle on wellness, which, you know, and, and some of the research that I've done and, and some of the posts that I've made on my own personal LinkedIn page recently have been about, you know, the leader needs to balance, you know, profit and people, you know, much more than they ever have in the past. And a lot of our coaching work is really focused on that. You know, how, how do you, you know, how do you stay, you know, you know, hands on the business and hands on the people, but not in a negative way, right? In a, in a good way. How do you really make sure that you're connecting with your people um, in ways that maybe traditional leadership, you know, didn't focus on quite as much? And listeners, we will be including a link to, to John's LinkedIn profile within the show notes. So you can uh, check him out and uh, connect with him and uh, read all of his awesome content. Uh, John, nearly half of uh, organizations in the US have, have an increased focus on diversity initiatives as a way to future-proof uh, their talent pipelines. Um, that's coming in at 48.9%. Let's talk a little bit about what's going on specifically over at LHH and, and your hopes for the company. What, what would you want to see change and develop at LHH when it comes to projecting and also practicing uh, an inclusive company culture? Yeah, this is, uh, this is key. Um, this is really key for us at LHH specifically, right? Where we, uh, you know, recently have, have really, you know, uh, what I would say we've always had a, um, a focus on diversity and inclusion. Uh, but we've really broadened the level of participation in in, in the group, right? And in terms of uh, you know strategic initiatives to help not only attract new and diverse sources of talent, but also to there's a big difference between diversity and inclusion, and that's what we're trying to make our employees understand with, right? I mean, you know, attracting new talent and developing talent from um, from you know minority areas is something you know that that you can do and that we're trying to do for sure because you want that diversity of thought and you want to really make sure that you're representative of the community that you operate in. So this is a clear focus for our group of folks and leaders that are that are working on this. Um, but inclusion is 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 related but different, and we're trying to help our our leaders and our employees understand that because that's the more behavioral side of it. Um, and so we're implementing. Uh, unconscious bias training as an example of something that we really believe in and we want to make sure that all leaders are, are well-versed in so that they understand, um, you know, the concept, right? And they can really, you know, promote people on their teams to bring their whole self to work. That's a big thing that we talk about at LHH is how can we make sure that all of our employees are comfortable bringing their whole unique self to work in a way that's, you know, psychologically safe. And not every leader, you know, for better or for worse, you know, understands how to do that. So we've really committed uh, to a tremendous amount of, of training and coaching, right? One-on-one -on -one coaching because we always use the product that we sell to our customers. So we use our Ezra coaching platform, you know, in this context as well to help leaders understand, you know, how do you do that and how do you engage your people and make them comfortable and feel psychologically safe to, uh, to do that. And we really use um, our company internet to promote these stories. And, and that's the way to really try to sustain this so that it's not just something that's an initiative, but we're really bringing real life examples of how this is working to our employees at the masses. So um, we've also uh, retained a, a great consulting firm called UWG, who, who's really helped us. So they have expertise in building diverse and inclusive, diverse and inclusive cultures because you know, we realize that we can't do this on our own. We really need the benefit of, of some experts in this area if we're really going to commit to a, to a culture change. But at the end of the day, that's what we want. We want our people to we want our people to bring themselves to work, feel comfortable with their bringing their whole selves to work. 
Um, and we want to look and, and be representative of the communities that we operate in. So that's, that's our vision. And we're on a great vision. And, and just finally for today, John, how, how can our listeners connect with you and how can they learn more about all of the awesome things happening over at LHH? Yeah, sure. Absolutely. Um, yeah, uh, please follow me on, on LinkedIn. Um, I, I frequently am contributing to various, you know, HR circles and think tanks uh, around these topics because I'm, you know, I'm not only running the organization, but at the end of the day, I'm a practitioner. So please, you know, connect with me on LinkedIn, John Morgan, uh, and then LHH.com is our, is our global website. We're posting all of our, uh, of our thought leadership there frequently, um, where you can get our latest, not only information about our products and services, but, but even more importantly, what our points of view are, like, what is our point of view on, on all of these topics, um, and, and happy to engage, you know, any one of your followers in a discussion one-on-one, uh, you can always email me as well at john.morgan at lhh.com. Wonderful. Well, that just leaves me to say for today, John Morgan, thank you very much for being my guest on this episode of the HR Chat Show. Truly my pleasure. I'm happy to come back at any time. and really enjoyed it. I will take you up on that, sir. Um, but for now, listeners, as always, until next time, happy working. Thank you for listening to the HR Chat Podcast, brought to you by the HR Gazette.